Hello, welcome to episode eight of The Soundtable. I'm your host, Austin, and I'm joined by your co-host, Miranda. Hello. We're really excited for this episode today because we have a very, very special guest. We're joined by Alina Smith of Liar Music Group. You may have seen her on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube constantly making production and writing content. You may have heard some of her music as a solo artist. You may also have heard some of the music that she's written and produced on for artists such as Red Velvet, Classy, Sorn, Reigns, Itzy, and more. She truly is such a multifaceted artist and producer. She's made her way into multiple markets. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk to her a little bit about her story, how she got started writing and producing, how she got started releasing music as an artist, her ins and outs with publishing, and how she started her own music group, how she balances content and working for artists and releasing music for herself, and a ton more. We really dive into everything in this podcast, and I've been a big, big fan of Alina's stuff on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram, and a lot of the music that she's worked on for a really, really long time, so I'm really excited to sit down and chat. So kick back and enjoy this episode with Alina Smith. All right, we are here with Alina. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Yeah, of course. I'm so good. It's so good to be here. It's been a while since I've done a podcast, so this is fun for me. We're glad to have you. You're actually the first female in the music industry that we've had, so I'm really excited to get some <laughs> some other viewpoints. <laughs> we've only had a couple guests so far, and we're trying to make sure that we can get everybody from you know every side to kind of come and give their their expertise and their experience. So thank you so much for for taking the time to come on. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who get a lot of inspiration from from what you're going to you know, share with us today. So Yay. you've had a, a crazy career. Um, you know, we just kind of introed you before you came on, but I would love to now just give you the floor for however long you need to just give some of our listeners like a little background on who you are, what you do, some of your musical projects. I know you're balancing producing and writing and releasing music as an artist and being a content creator for production. So if you wouldn't mind just filling everybody in on kind of how you got started and how you got to where you are, uh, I'd love to hear it myself. Of course. Oh my God, don't tell me that I have however long. I will talk and talk and talk. Same. <laughs> so same, same, I was going to say, so awesome. So that you're totally fine. You know how us YouTubers are. We'll just literally sit there and talk for an hour. Literally. Um, but I'll try to keep this like contained. <laughs> okay. So um, basically, I've, my journey in music has lasted already, I want to say 18 years. Um, it's been a little oh. while. I moved here to the States from Russia originally. And I knew I wanted to be a musician because I was in like a kid's band when I was Aww. young. I think I started when I was like six or seven. I was really young and we toured and I got to like perform for really large audiences when I was like a little kid. And it was super, super fun for me. So I knew I wanted to do that. So as soon as I moved here, I kind of started pursuing that. And I've done a lot of different things. Um, and it's taken quite a while for me to get going, to be honest. Um, I get, you know, a lot of people ask about like time. A lot of people like to compare themselves to other people as far as like how long mm -hmm. things take. And I always just say, hey, it's super individual. It's going to take however long it takes. For sure. For me, um, I probably spent like, I want to say 10 years just kind of being lost, but also working really hard and trying to figure things out. Um, uh, in the those 10 years, I sang on the Las Vegas Strip <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I wrote for J-pop and I performed at coffee shops in LA. <laughs> um, I did a lot of 
just different, different things. And right. finally, when I moved to Nashville is when I guess I started like my quotes professional career because I signed a uh, publishing deal as a songwriter. And I was in that deal for quite a while. I only left last year. I was in it for seven years. Oh, wow. So I learned a ton through doing that um, in Nashville. And also I moved to Los Angeles after that, about a year and a half after I got that deal. So um, yeah, that was kind of the start of my professional career. And since then, I've done a lot of different things as a writer and producer. I worked I'll currently work a lot with K-pop. Right. Um, that's kind of like my main thing at the moment. But for a while also, I worked exclusively with content creators. <laughs> I made music for mm. basically YouTubers. Okay. Um, and that was really, really interesting and kind of a unique experience that gave me a lot of perspective on music, but also content creation. Because I really didn't watch YouTube. I didn't watch Vine when that was popular. Like I didn't really engage with that world. And because I worked with so many of artists from that world, I get to learn a lot about it. So that's like the super kind of surface condensed version, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to hear though, that you've kind of been through all facets of the industry, like really grinded your teeth with, you know, like you said, like performing on the strip and then going through publishing deals. Are you currently independent or did you sign a deal after that last one was up? I am independent, but I ha I'm working with like, several different publishers that are specifically located in Asia for Asian music. Mm. So, which is a really good spot for me to be at right now, because to be honest, a lot of my peers that have a publishing deal, their only way to get like cuts as a writer is through their publisher or just maybe manager right. or anything they do on their own. And I have like a group of people hustling on my behalf. And I always say, hey, you give me a cut, I give you a cut. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really open to kind of like working with anybody that brings value, you know? Sure. And I think I contribute a lot of value on the business end as well because I, you know, have been developing my own relationships and yada, yada, yada. So um, that works for me for right now. I'm really, really happy about it because it's a really big difference from being in a deal. Right. Um, mm -hmm. just, just a little aside, there's just a, a few things that having a pub deal can prevent you from getting. Like one of them, for example, is sync. A lot of sync companies want all in rights. They want to be able to basically pitch a song to a TV show or movie and not worry about having to approve, get approval from a publisher or from mm -hmm. a master holder. So they want you to own the master and you want they want you to own the publishing. And if you don't, it's kind of like, they just don't even want to get in it with you. Right. So I was really like unable to participate in any kind of sync opportunities until I left my deal, you know, other than through my publisher. That's something I never thought about before. Yeah, there's, there's a, quite a few things that deals can prevent you from so that's right. why and this is this is obviously I don't necessarily recommend this to people starting out because you kind of you need help and especially if you don't know what you're doing you're new you need somebody to guide you and if you have no relationships and you're still like figuring out the music and the creative side it can be really really challenging to do this so I do this at this stage like 18 years into my career right you know and even then I might at some point like switch things up especially if I find a partner that's just consistently killing it for me and I'm really excited about you know exclusively working with them but right now I just I like this kind of phase of uh being able to connect with anybody yeah, because like going through that publishing deal, you probably got the experience of, you know, connecting with artists and being in rooms and doing your co-writes and what getting a mm -hmm. cut looks like and what all the uh, the back mm -hmm. end work is like. And so now that you have that experience, like 
are you in that point now where you think you're trying to kind of build your own leverage? So if you ever do sign another label deal or pub deal, it's more so like, I don't really need you. You kind of really want me. So I have a lot more kind of bargaining power to get the deal that yeah. I want. Exactly. Exactly. I think when I signed my pub deal with BMG, you know, I it's they took a chance on me. I really had nothing to offer on the business side. I just was talented. <laughs> That's really all I had. Right. Um, so I had no cuts. I had like nothing really going on. So and this is one thing I will say that's really pro Nashville because my deal was in Nashville. Um, at least at that time, I don't know now, it's been a while since I've been there, but at that time, there was a lot more openness um, from labels and for publishers, just at taking a look at people that are just talented. Right. <laughs> you guys know, like these days, it's a little bit like, you know, what cuts do you have if you're a writer, producer for artists is like, how is your TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's your fan base doing? It's just, it's a little bit, you have to develop more on your own. So uh, it's, it's a different time and a different era, but you're absolutely right. In the beginning, you know, they did help set me up into sessions and do all those kinds of like basic beginner prof professional things that you have to learn. Right. So now I think my goal would be, you know, to start my own publishing company and start my own label because I do know quite a bit of those things now. And I'm in the process of learning more and more and more connecting with people that have launched extremely successful artists and just seeing like, hey, how did you do that? Like, how do you raise capital? Like all these sure. things that are kind of next level for me that are still, you know, not in my scope. That's what I'm focused on learning. Yeah, I mean, that's super inspirational. Also, you're the first guest that we've had that really is working outside of a Western market. So like, I know you do a lot mm -hmm. of stuff for K-pop and J-pop and, and a lot of kind of Asian pop acts. How did you kind of transition into that? Because I know a couple of people who have been able to kind of get into that market, but I haven't been able to really dive into a conversation. So I'd love to hear how that transition from, you know, Western pop overseas kind of went for you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I have a kind of a long but interesting story about it. So actually my very first cut was J-pop. So I really fell into it. And this, I, th I want to say this was like 2008. This was a long time ago. Oh, wow. Okay. I met this producer. Yeah, I was a kid. I think I was a pretty much a teenager, like 18, 19 years old. Wow. And I met this producer on Craigslist, <laughs> the Japanese producer looking for singers, which at that time it makes sense. Cause like we didn't have like proper social media yet. Yeah. Like MySpace and right. maybe a little bit of Facebook just starting out, but mm -hmm. it was hard to connect with people on the internet. So um, he just put out like a Craigslist ad and I wrote back and I said, I'm a singer, here's some stuff. <laughs> and then we basically ended up working together. This is before I produced, I didn't make any tracks yet. I just, you know, vocally produced and sure. not well. <laughs> I want to add, I just basically sang and you had to record. Um, and he sent me some beats to sing over. And within, I want to say like three months, we got a couple of cuts in Asia, both with the same artists um, in Japan. So, and it was a very interesting thing that happened. I'm I'm very spiritual and sometimes I'm like, man, things are meant to be when they're meant to be and they're not meant to be when they're not meant to be. Mm -hmm. Because what happened is his publisher, because he was like a very successful J-pop writer and his publisher wanted to sign me because I got these couple of cuts with him. And it was one of those things where like, of course I should have signed because I had nothing else going on. It's like, yes, please sign, right? It right. makes all, all the sense. But 
I had a manager at the time who kind of didn't really know what he was doing, <laughs> being really honest. And he thought it wasn't a good idea. I really don't know why, because looking back, I'm like, there's nothing about this that doesn't seem like a good idea. It was like a really legit company. They were good mm -hmm. people. Like, I don't understand, you know? Right. And basically he talked me out of signing this. So, and then many years passed, like seven or eight years passed, and I was just doing Western music and, you know, really struggling. And what ended up happening, so I was in my deal in Nashville, and um, what ha uh, what they did is they signed me with the intention of pitching me as an artist to Nashville record labels. Because believe it or not, I worked on country music. Really? Okay. As an artist <laughs> and as a producer writer. I know. It's really just... It's very, very funny. I like to say that it really was like country drag. <laughs> I was basically really? like a drag queen. In I love that. Because obviously I'm not country. I'm literally not even an American, <laughs> technically. <laughs> right. So, but I was attracted to kind of like that very over the top, almost like Dolly Parton type of country. Right, right. Um, like rhinestone cowboy kind of like. Just, it's very like the outfits are full of glitter. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It's like the glittering cowboy hat on cowboy oh, boots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was lots and lots of there's one video my friends in LA because they didn't know me at that time they love to like force me to show this to them anytime they're at my house it's this video um, this like live performance that's it's like a produced shoot and I was carried on stage by these two shirtless guys <laughs> Well, now I want to see this video. What the heck? <laughs> uh, it was just so campy. It was so much fun. So, but, you know, we're talking 2013, 2014 in right. Nashville. Um, record labels were like, what is this? <laughs> they were very much like, oh, we don't understand this. This is not real country. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. So, um, and my team, just being very transparent, like they didn't try hard enough. They tried with two labels. <laughs> They okay. showed two labels and they were like, oh, they rejected you. We don't know what to do. <laughs> so, and they both, they basically said like, hey, you know, maybe you should focus on a writing for a second, you know, just build up your cuts. Maybe it will be easier to pitch you as you build up your cuts, which is a common thing. Writers right. with a lot of success transitioning to being artists. So I was like, okay, sure. Great. Like, will you guys help me get some cuts? <laughs> and of course, your publisher is supposed to do that. But they were like, ah. I'm like, oh, okay. So like you expect me to just go and pull these cuts out of my butt. <laughs> right, you had a bunch okay, of people great. on a team kind of dragging their feet waiting on somebody else to do their job. Yeah, this is very common music industry for anybody that's new. Like, this is not like, oh my God, I got like done so dirty. This is mm -hmm. like everybody I know has right. like had this moment in their career at some point. So because they kind of were like, get cuts, but we won't help you get cuts. I started thinking, okay, so what do I do? They're going to drop me. And that was my only source of income at that point is just like my advance from my publishing deal. I had nothing else going on. Sure. So like, uh, I need to like keep this deal. I need to figure something out. So at that time, I was starting to work with my best friend, Ellie, Ellie Moore. And she was very young at the time. She was, I believe, 18 years old. And we were, you know, hanging out as friends. I was helping her out a little bit with like her artist music. And, you know, when this happened, I said, hey, like, do you want to just try to write some k-pop and j-pop because i remembered those j-pop cuts i got as a teenager and i was like well it's the only 
thing I remember where I got cuts like, quotes easily. <laughs> right. <laughs> where it wasn't one of those like you have to grind for 10 years to get one cut. Yeah. Like right. Nashville, you know. So uh, her and I were like, yeah, sure. Let's just, you know, let's come up with a couple of things. And I actually ended up writing that producer that I had my first cuts with, that J-pop producer, mm. Shin. And I said, hey, do you have any beats? I want to, you know, do this again. So, and we also tip tips for anybody that's like how do i collab you know you can you can just hit people up <laughs> on the internet yeah like, it literally it, is that easy honestly it, it's really that easy so we hit up like a group of uh writers that have had k-pop and j-pop success a lot of them were in sweden hmm. and we just were like hey like we want to get into this like here's some music and you know some people were just like no like you don't have any track record and there were people that were like yeah sure so and basically within about three four months we got our first cut which was with red velvet which is a oh, pretty wow. well not pretty it is a bit <laughs> yeah a huge group. <laughs> yeah so and we didn't even like know that at the time and we were like oh yay sick cool yeah <laughs> um so and from that cut we got invited to our writing camp in la here which was hosted by sm which is the record label mm. for red velvet and many other well-known K-pop artists and groups. And it was, I remember it was one of those days where we just had like the worst, like luck with travel. <laughs> flights kept getting delayed, yep. kept getting bumped to other flights. It took us like 10 hours to get from Nashville to LA. Um, it was Not really like a five cool. hour flight normally. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just kept getting delayed. It was just one oh of my those days. God. You know? And, you know, after that camp, Ellie and I were like, man, like, we can't keep doing that. Like, a lot of these invitations are really quite last minute. They give you like a week, you know, you want to yeah. join next week. You know, when you live on the other side of the country, that's like really hard to make happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's when we started talking, hey, let's move to L.A. And I think within three months from, from then, things just kind of came together. My husband got, he had a job uh, with Southwest Airlines at the time. He got like, a transfer to work at Burbank. Just all kind of naturally came together. It was meant to be. Yeah. So, and then we moved here. And we ended up working on a little bit more K-pop and had a few more successful songs. But for a few years after that, we got kind of like moved from that direction. And we worked with people here in LA and more Western pop. Um, and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and overnight, you know, this happened to everybody, but overnight, we didn't have any artists coming over to work with us. Cause like 2017, 18, 19, you know, all we did was just like record artists here in LA, especially a lot of the content creators, influencers. Sure. So all of that suddenly just stopped. And um, we were just bored. <laughs> we were like, what do we do? You know, we can't have sessions with anybody. This is before um, people really kind of dialed in working on the internet, working on Zoom. Um, so we were like, oh, let's just write some K-pop. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. So, and we didn't even do that whole lot. I think we wrote just a few songs in 2020 that were intended for K-pop. And one of those songs ended up being cut by the group Itzy and it's called Mafia in the Morning and it was their single last year in 2021. And we, because we were just kind of getting back into this, you know, we were really just kind of like, oh, well, I guess that's cool. Like we didn't know a whole lot about what that was going to do. Right. And it was ended up being a really big song that kind of gave us a lot more opportunities in the world of k-pop so and i always say this to everybody i'm like hey you have a lot more than you realize and the whole 
key to entrepreneurial success is to leverage the resources that you have, right? right? You know, if you're just starting out, it might just be your talent and your or your intelligence. But if you have any sort of success, you know, big or small, you can always take that and turn that into more successes. For sure. So when I knew, when I realized like what Mafia was doing, I said, oh, okay. So that we're doing this now. Like this is a great opportunity to get more partners, to, you know, reach out to more collaborators. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, it took about a year. And I, from the start of this year, I want to say, I started having a lot of the, songs i wrote last year come out and you know we're still in progress of that you stay busy because you've got all of that going plus you're (laughs) releasing music with liar you're also doing solo releases now right and you're doing content on youtube instagram (laughs) all of that stuff so how do you balance your time like how do you decide all right this week is going to be a week where i do a youtube video and a couple instagram reels or this week i'm going to write for a couple k-pop pitches or i'm going to work on a new song for myself or with ellie like how do you split that time because that's a lot of different things to to juggle no it's it's a lot and i know you relate (laughs) you guys both relate because you know you're a content creator and producer and uh, you have a podcast now and you release music as an artist you know it can be overwhelming so i think the main thing is just to kind of take care of your health and make sure you stop when there are signs of ill health manifesting (laughs) that's kind of how i i just pay attention to like my body you know if i have a day i wake up and i barely can get out of bed i'm like okay yeah we're not doing anything today i'm gonna cancel whatever i've got going on gotcha you know and i try try, a little bit of grace to like know your limits yeah you you know i usually do try to take both saturday and sunday off a lot of musicians don't but i will work probably 12 to 14 hours on weekdays so when I, yeah, it's a lot. It's definitely, I don't recommend it. I do think, I do think of this as a building stage for me because I kind of feel like I was, you know, a little bit held back by my deal in a way. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things I couldn't do. Right. So now I'm like, oh, I can partner with this person. I can do this. I can, you know, it's just, it's kind of an exciting time. And I yeah. think the excitement keeps me going. Sure. But I do think that in the future, you know, I'm going to start forcing myself to like, be healthier and work less <laughs> no matter how excited yeah, a little work-life balance <laughs> yeah it's it's important like i always tell people like yeah. don't do what i do like it's it's not you know it's just a phase at the moment yeah right so but the way i balance it honestly i like to say i like to get help on everything i used to be the kind of person that's like i gotta do everything myself and that's how i feel it's my own but mm-hmm. now it's i try to get somebody to help me just about with every aspect you know k-pop Everything is written in teams. It's never me alone. I have maybe like three songs I wrote by myself sure. uh, for K-pop. Everything else is like three or four people, you know, on the song. You know, we're, we're dividing responsibilities like producing and songwriting and cutting vocals because there's quite a bit uh, for K-pop. It needs to be like quite detailed. Yeah, right. K-pop um, changes as like far every as content, couple bars. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, as far, as far as content creation, I do everything in bulk. I am one of the, I definitely couldn't like fit that into a day of doing other things, but mm-hmm. I'll take a content day and I'll make, you know, 16 TikToks and wow. four YouTube videos in that day. I'll go from morning to night and just do it. And then I'm set for a month. True. So that's, that's kind of how it's done. And even, you know, YouTube editing, all of those things I have interns and have an assistant, I have people helping me out, which I'm lucky 
to have. But even for people that are starting out, I'm always like, ask your friend, ask somebody in your family to help you out because yeah. it's rough out there if you're trying to do everything yourself. Yeah, it's exhausting. That, the only way we were able to get consistent with like the weekly videos was when Miranda came on board and started handling all the project management and all of the editing and uploading and stuff like that. Because yeah, I mean, between, between making a song to use for a tutorial editing, filming and editing a tutorial, getting it all uploaded, sending it out to an email list. You're talking like at least eight hours of work for mm -hmm. like a 20 minute tutorial. And if you're doing that every week, like I can't lose two full days every single week for one video. Yeah. So like you have to bring on somebody. And then with K-pop, like you said, <laughs> yeah, she, she's literally like the MVP. She's the person behind everything. Even with like yes. the podcast, like she comes up with like the question, she helps research guests because it's like, it's just too much. But like you were saying though, for K-pop, you're normally working in teams. So do you find that you're able to kind of like work on a lot, you have a lot of projects spinning at the same time, but it's not necessarily like giant chunks of like, I have to dedicate three whole days to this and then two whole days to this. It's more like, I'm going to work on this for a couple hours and then I'll bounce to this for a couple hours and then I'll bounce to this. Or do you prefer to just like batch it? It's, you know, it's kind of like that. I will say K-pop is just, it's so involved because if you've even listened to the vocal production, I mean, I will usually have like 50 to 70 vocal stacks, right? right? Mm -hmm. There's very few projects I'll do that are just like a lead and a couple of dubs and a couple of harmonies. It's intense. So yeah, it's, I definitely have a lot of projects going on at the same time. And I absolutely have to be organized and keep a spreadsheet of what I have going on. Because right. I will literally forget about songs. I oh, will, yeah. they, they will leave my mind and not come back. <laughs> so especially if I'm collaborating with people in other countries and there's kind of like a sending of melodies going on on WhatsApp or email or Instagram, whatever we're using. It's just easy to kind of lose track of like, hey, where were we at? Like what's going on? What is yep. needed? So I keep notes on everything. And it also depends on who I collaborate with. Um, I I like to be really open. And this is, I, I wish more people were like this. Uh, I definitely, you know, I will work with other people that are like, have lots of cuts and success and all of that. It really helps as far as getting the song to a good place, but also the business end of things, like pitching the song. Sure. Uh, the more people pitch, the better, <laughs> better it is, basically. Uh, but I will always find time to give like a shot to new people, to newer writers and producers and, you know, help uplift them. And I've been able to, over the last year, get like some new writers and producers their first cuts, which is super fun and rewarding. Right. So, but I just have to kind of balance like when I do that and when I work with people that are established, because usually when people are established, it's just a lot quicker yeah. to get things done because everybody's more experienced. So, but yeah, you know, it's, it's just... It can be challenging, and a lot of the times we just kind of split responsibilities uh, on who does the mix and who does the singing, who does the uh, vocal editing. So, you know, between three, four people usually goes a little bit faster right. than if I tried to do it all myself. So just organization. Organization is like the key to your entire workflow. It, it really, really is. It's I feel like I'm so OCD. I'm really not OCD, but if you look at my files, you're like, oh, this girl's so OCD. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I, it's, it's just because I have to be, even for pitching K-pop in my catalog, I 
I know that it's this crazy to me. A lot of writers don't have like a spreadsheet for their catalog. Right. They just kind of have their songs whenever, wherever on the hard drive. And sometimes they don't even know where they are and it's hard to find them. So, and I keep like a Google Doc spreadsheet with everything color coded um, based on whether it's cut, whether it's on hold, whether it's available. If it's on hold, I'll write, I'll write the date of the hold and how long they're holding it for. So if it's for three months and three months, I can be like, hi, what happened to that? Mm -hmm. Because if they're taking it off hold and they're not cutting it, I want that song back and I want to be able to pitch it immediately. Right. So yeah, it's just these like business boring skills, but they really go a long way. Oh, it's smart. It's really smart because you could just miss so much stuff that you have, like you were saying. Right. Yeah. What are you going to do yeah. if you get an email from, you know, Blackpink's label and they're like, hey, we're looking for three songs like this. And you're like, oh, well, I have those somewhere on my hard drive, but I can't remember what I called the Ableton session. I can't remember where, what hard drive they're on. I can't remember if I've given those to anybody already. Then yeah, it's like, okay, stressing. well, you just, you had songs sitting it's there. It's really stressful. Yeah. It's really stressful. And the most stressful thing is when they're like, it's cut. And you go into the session and it's like an old song and it's all messed up. There's oh, plugins God. that broke because you updated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I even, I try to be really good about that and uh, stem everything out. Y you know, I can't, I'm, I don't have the time and the kind of resources to do it constantly, but I will make sure that about every six months I'll send some stuff out and or I'll get my assistant to do it because, yeah, just um, the other day, well, the song I'm working on right now before <laughs> we got on this call, it's a little bit older. And I was so happy that I stemmed the song out right. because there were some plugins that broke that since, you know, that I didn't update to the newest version of OS or whatever I've got going on. So, but I had everything backed up in waves. So I'm like, thank God. Literally. Yeah. I tell people if you're going to archive something for more than like a couple months, you might as well just commit all of the sounds in your session and either render them mm -hmm. out or export your stems. Cause like I have people that'll ask me for project stems of something I did like four years ago. I don't have, mm -hmm. even if I still have that session, there's no way I st I'm going to be able to pull that up. Like I'm on pro Q3 right now. It's not going to pull up pro Q1 and be exact, you know, like, Mm -hmm. especially the way the updates work is, is you're not able to always like have backwards compatible stuff. So, I mean, that's a nice little tip though, of just being super organized and making sure that you have all your files for whenever you need them rather than, you know, being like, oh shit, I don't, I don't know if I can pull that up actually. So now I have to completely redo that. I've heard of people losing like hundred thousand dollars sinks because they didn't have stems. No. When I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm going to get so organized yeah. because I never want this to happen. Literally. You, should do a, you should do a YouTube video on organization. I feel like that's needed. I honestly should. Really? It's a really good idea. I always think this is so boring, no. but it's so necessary. Yeah, it's helpful. And I think it's something that people might not even think about, especially like color coordinating mm -hmm. and like if stuff's on hold, like, I mean, I'm not a producer, so granted, of course, I wouldn't think about that, but... I think that stuff is important. And it's like those little things that instead of it taking you, you know, three hours to figure out something, it would take you five minutes because you know where all your stuff is and it's all organized. So right. I think I'm, that'd be great. Exactly. I do too. And to be honest, like we found that typically the more basic a video feels and like the more that I'm like, people are not going to care about this. It's just common sense. Or like people know how to do this. Those are always our videos that do the best. They're the videos that get the best yeah, feedback, the most amount of views, the most people that come check out the site. And then I have to like remind myself every so often, like, Austin, you've been doing this for seven or eight years. There are things that you just do that happen in your mind. You need to be able to like break that down because sometimes people don't realize that. Like, I guarantee you there's going to be people that listen to this that are like, I have no idea what sessions are on my hard drive, where they're at, stems that I've printed. 
Yeah, you're oh. going to inspire a lot of people oh, no. to organize. <laughs> <laughs> that gives me anxiety just imagining that. Yeah, right. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great tip, though. Honestly, Thanks. what is... So what is the workflow like when you are working on a track to pitch? Like, are you getting briefs that you kind of start to fill out with collaborators or are you working off of stuff that you're just kind of inspired by at the moment and you're like, oh, I could do something like this really, really sick and kind of keep it in a catalog? What's your workflow like when you're trying to either pitch something or build up a catalog of kind of sitting songs? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great question. And I feel like the answer is there's no specific workflow it changes all the time and this i'm sure as a production content creator you got you kind of find also find this like to be a problem because a lot of people want like a step-by-step process how do you produce a song you know step one step two and i try to do that as much as i can when i teach but the truth is like it's chaos (laughs) you know that's why i try to be organized because creation is chaos you know sometimes i might be like okay i'll start with the drums today other times i'm like oh i'm just super inspired i hear this thing in my head other times i'm like i'm completely not inspired let me go listen to whatever is popular and try to cop that literally (laughs) just being real you know just like what every writer goes through is it just is very very it's very varied (laughs) it's very depending on how you feel depending on what the project is depending on how inspired you are i would say that as far as K-pop briefs, this is a very common thing that a lot of writers go off of. So we get briefs sent to us by publishers or labels or managers. Um, labels usually write out a brief, like we're looking for this type of thing for our artist or our group, you know, and usually it's quite detailed and good. Uh, they will give you references of songs they like. They'll tell you what they like about them, what they don't like about them. They sometimes will give BPMs, sometimes will even give like tonalities they'll be like oh this needs to be like more dark and minor sometimes they're like nothing dark happy major so it gives you a really good idea of what they're looking for i will say that a lot of the younger writers that i mentor are very like can you send me some more briefs can you send me some more briefs they really find them helpful to as to their own development really and as far as inspiration you know because a lot of writers especially when we write a lot, produce a lot, it's like, oh God, another song, what do I even make? (laughs) You feel like you've made everything under the sun. So if you have this brief, it helps you focus on a thing. (laughs) Right. So, and sometimes I will write from briefs and it is inspiring and it kind of helps get you in the flow. Other times I will say though, I completely just do whatever I want. And I do find that, um, it's not always the songs that are written to briefs that get cut. And it's not even always what the A&R say they want that gets cut. That always kills me. That right. <laughs> because, But at the same time, it makes sense, right? They think they want something. It's easy to conceptualize. Yeah. Oh, our group needs a bright, happy single. But then you hear something dark and amazing and suddenly you're like, wait, but this would be so cool, mm-hmm. you know? So I have had this happen right now. I've been trying to land a single with this Korean artist for about like nine months, eight months. And when I first started working with the label A&R, she told me R&B, um, like, yeah, basically R&B, pop R&B, Ariana Grande right. type of vibes. And everything I wrote in that vibe, she didn't take for the artist. Mm-hmm. And the song they're cutting right now is no R&B in it. It's really just straight pop. And I will say even this, it's not K-pop. It's like, if when you hear it in English, you're like, 
there's nothing K-pop about this. It's This is a Western pop song. Right. And this is what they're cutting. So it's just one of those things that's like, you don't know. So I like to kind of not have my eggs in one basket, but spread them in many, many different <laughs> yes. baskets. Right. So I'll do some stuff to briefs. So I'll do some stuff that's just like off of my own inspiration. I, I will sometimes work with um, an artist or writer that has a particular style they do really well. And I'll just be like, let's just do that, you know? And that can go for film, TV, or it can go for K-pop. You just really don't know. And even as far as K-pop too, there's a there's a trend. This is like, <laughs> this is the hot take right now. The trend right now is very Western. Like okay. full on like American, like Western sounding mm. songs, like with no K-pop elements, like the traditional K-pop elements, what you would think of as K-pop. Much more Western formulated where like, the verse goes straight into the pre-chorus, straight into the chorus, and there's no like key changes, mm -hmm. no genre switches. That's the best mm -hmm. part of K-pop. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no crazy chord progression switches, no tempo switches, you know. And then at the same time, there's still the quotes traditional K-pop going on where you need all that stuff. Sure. So that's why I'm like, I will kind of just do as many different things as possible. And I keep track of what's getting held and what's getting cut. But even from that, I'm honestly having a hard time, like getting some sort of consensus on what's, you know, what is working. I feel like anything and everything is working as long as it's good. Yeah. So I guess that's a really exciting thing. One thing too, though, about that market is like, it's just at a whole different tempo and pace than like Western pop. Like there are so many K-pop acts that just release so much music. Like they'll release three, four albums within a year. And so like, yeah. Yeah. It's just such a higher volume. So do you find that like they're they're a bit more lenient on like pushing the boundary, like you said, and not necessarily going along to briefs because they've got so much music that they're all always working on. And that whole, you know, market and, and workflow over there is just completely different. It reminds me a lot more of like the development of like 90s boy bands and like pop musical acts here where it was like mm -hmm. super formulated from the labels, like much more performance based rather than... Uh, you know, not in like a bad way, but like the artist being artistic. It's more of like they've got all these performers and entertainers together. Mm -hmm. And so do you feel like that mm -hmm. kind of lets you as like a writer and a producer almost put more of yourself in because you're you're not necessarily trying to write for somebody like Ariana Grande, who's trying to convince everybody that she like that song is like her entire soul. Yeah. I mean, you literally encapsulated it. You said it so perfectly. I don't have really anything to add. It's exactly this. Um, it's really entertainment based. So a lot of the briefs you get are like, has to be good for performance, right. mm -hmm. has to have danceable beats because, you know, they're thinking about their tour and the group has to put on a show, right? And especially the single has to be something they can dance to and really, really entertain to. So, and of course they like variety, right? That's why you get ballads cut because they want to have that moment in the show where they really, really sing. Mm. Um, but you also get, you know, quirky songs cut just because they want to have that kind of weird moment almost right. to kind of take you away from everything sounding like a single. Mm, sure. So that's why there's such a variety. Yeah, and you're absolutely right too that uh, a lot of the soloists, I will say, are a little bit more like the soloists here, where they're more involved in the writing. I worked with Sun Mi. She was involved in the writing. I worked with Chang'e. She was involved in the writing. But at the same time, they're very used to getting songs. And right. they're not, like you said, like Ariana, where she needs to be like fully like, this is me. My soul is this mm -hmm. song. You know, they're more willing to be like, oh, I love this melody. I love this track. Like, I didn't write this, but let me just put my own lyric on it. Yeah. You know, they're more willing to work 
with just things that are really good that are written by other people, which is honestly why I like the genre and I love writing for it because like you said, I can just be an artist myself right. <laughs> and do what I like where when I worked with artists here, I found that a lot of it is just kind of walking on eggshells and trying to please them. Yeah. <laughs> it's trying to wear the shoes is, of that artist. Like how can I convince that artist that I wrote it in their own mindset rather than it's just an artist that's performing a really good song that I wrote. Exactly, exactly. And it just depends on like you as a producer and a writer, what you like more. Right. Yeah, I feel like when I was working a lot with um, artists here, I was more in the mindset of like, oh, I'm here to serve them. I'm like performing an act of service. But I think having stepped back from that and having worked with more K-pop, now it's, it's hard for me to do that because I kind of just know what I like and I know what works for me and I know that what works for me has been proven to work for others. Sure. <laughs> so it can be almost like a tension type of thing where you're like, wait, but no, this is good. Like, And if the artist isn't really buying it, it can be frustrating. Right. Yeah, that's totally understandable. I would love to hear a little bit more about the process of like actually getting a song cut because I think that probably 99% of people that listen to this episode will have never had probably a major song cut at all, but definitely not a major song outside of a Western market. So I would love to hear a little bit about mm -hmm. like what the process of pitching is like. Like I know you said now you're independent, so how that's kind of changed versus when you had a publisher and then what the kind of workflow is like from the time that you have a song sitting on your hard drive that's ready to pitch versus, you know, getting it signed on, what, you know, how the actual payout looks like. You don't have to get to specifics about like how much you make or anything. Of no, course. no, I'll, but, I'll get a specific because I can. I think this is something people need to know. Sure. And there's not a lot of transparency on this. It's hard to find this information. Mm -hmm. So usually the way this works, you know, we finish a song, we have an MP3 of it that sounds good, is mixed, is ready to be pitched. So for me, it's a bit different because I have several partners. Sure. So I usually will send this, that song to several partners. If it was for a specific brief, I try to get it done by the deadline and send it, you know, before the deadline and say, Hey, this, I wrote this for this, um, go off and pitch. <laughs> and my partners are all different. Some are, I have a partner that's got me a lot of cuts, but they never really respond to things I send them. And I don't even expect them to respond to the things I send them. Like, right. You know, right. I don't like care if they tell me it's good or anything. Like, I just want to cut. Sure. <laughs> like, and I know from my experience with them that they're pitching. Cause then when I first started with them, I was like, what are they even like pitching these songs? Like what is going on? I was very kind of feeling in the dark, but they were, and then when I started getting the cuts, I was like, oh, they just, this is their process. You know, they just grab these songs, they put it in their folder, however they organize right. it, and then they do their thing. And this is very, very common. So I have another partner who is more like OCD like me and very organized, and I really appreciate them for it. They um, basically have a spreadsheet, just like very similar to the one I have for my catalog. And they add anything new, I send them to that spreadsheet. And it has a column where they put in who they pitched it to and when they pitched it, which I just appreciate so much because, you know, I have a lot of songs. I have a lot of partners. It's hard to remember who was pitched to, uh, what song was pitched to, which artist. Sure. And if I go, hey, this, has this song been pitched to Espa? It's got the Espa sound. I'll go and I look on their spreadsheet and I go, oh, they pitched it on, you know, 623. And then I know that it was pitched and I don't have to do it again. So um, that really, really helps. But yeah, a lot of it is very, you know, you just really, <laughs> it's like faith-based. You have to have faith that it's gonna work out and that it, that it is getting pitched because it's easy. 
as a songwriter kind of sit back and be like, is, is there anything even happening? Is anybody hearing this stuff? Right. So, and this is obviously on the publisher side or if you have a manager pitching for you. Um, and managers usually are a little bit more communicative. Um, I had managers in the past, I don't have one right now, and they usually kind of let you know like what the ANR says. They will even send you like a screenshot of an, of, um, an email. Uh, publishers, you know, don't usually do that. So, but for me too, because I have some relationships with labels myself now, I will send stuff directly to ANRs and it, it looks different depending on the person. There's one uh, woman I work with who's really, really communicative. She'll even tell me when they don't want things, which I really actually like love and appreciate. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't get bummed out. Like 99% of the stuff we send out is rejected until right. it's accepted. <laughs> so I don't like think about that at all. She'll just be like, hey, like uh, we decided to go with other songs. Thank you so much for sending this in. So, and I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you for letting me know. The majority of them, the rest of them, they don't even say anything. They don't tell you that it's rejected. If, they, if you don't hear about it back, it's rejected. So you kind of just move on. Um, and okay, so that's just like the initial step of pitching. Then the next thing that happens when you're on the way to getting a cut is getting a hold. So holds usually happen in the West as well, but they're a lot less, I want to say like official. Sure. So in Korea, a hold is basically very like they are holding it. You're not allowed to send it to anybody mm -hmm. else. And usually when I get a hold from me sending it out or from one of my partners i let all my partners know hey this is on hold and i will let you know if it gets cut or if it goes off hold so holds are usually in korea like i said they're very organized they'll tell you how long they're holding it for it's usually three uh, two to three months i had one recently that was on hold for three months and now it was extended to another three months six months is a little bit like i'm not a fan of that yeah, it's <laughs> because you're basically not allowed to do anything with that song for six months yeah. right. so um this is for a big group though and i really want to cut with them so i'm like okay it's fine it's fine um but usually it's two to three months so sometimes they let you know when it goes off hold. They're like, oh, sorry to let you know, we're not cutting it. Um, sometimes they don't, and you can just kind of assume that it's done and you can just start sending it out. Um, but in the good case scenario, you get an email that says it's being cut. So and from that point on, a lot of different things can happen. A lot of the times they ask for changes. And sometimes they even ask for changes in the hold phase too. I have that going on with like, two or three songs at the moment where they're like, hey, like we're seriously considering it. I usually find it to be like a very good sign. If they want changes, they like really are right. interested. They're like trying to work um, with it. They're just trying to finesse it a little bit. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, and they can be, they're usually not huge changes because if it's huge, they, they just don't put the song on hold. They sure. don't cut it. Um, so it's usually like, oh, we want a different sound in the intro. We want a different bridge. We want a dance break added. We want a bigger last chorus, D things like that. You know, sometimes it's dropping the key or lifting key, things like that. So, and the, like I said, this happens either at the hold stage or the cut stage. So it's, it's really like interesting what happens at the cut stage. Cause you get very like, Oh, I got a nail because I know this is coming out. I got to do like a really, really good job. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, I feel that way with everything, but it kind of is more like, Oh, I like really got to just try to do my best. So, and from that point on, yeah, if they told you it's cut, 
I only once in my career had something that they said it was cut and they didn't come out. Mm. So, and yeah, and usually a lot of that is a miscommunication. If, you know, you're working with a producer and they're like, yeah, it's cut, they told me, but maybe it was more of a hold. Sometimes things get a little bit lost in translation. But like I said, they're very like organized and very professional. If they tell you it's cut, it's cut. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and from, yeah, and from that point on, I've had very quick cuts and I've had very long cuts. So my quickest, I want to say, was my latest Chunga cut, which I wrote in May and came out in Ju July. Oh, okay. They basically told fast. me it was cut. Yeah, they told me it was cut like the day after I wrote it. That's the quickest oh, wow. I ever had that happen. And they were in a rush. They were trying to get songs for the album. They loved the track already. So I just had to write a good top line. I did. And they just took it. Love that. <laughs> it was very quick. So I, I love when it's like that. It's very rarely like that. A lot of the cuts I have now were confirmed like two months ago. They're not coming out till winter 2023. Oh, wow. So, you know, there's quite a bit, yeah, there's quite a bit of waiting going on. Labels usually have, uh, K-pop labels, these really long schedules. Like they're almost, like I'm trying to think of an example, like a video game company where they plan their content out like a year in advance. Yes. Right. That does not so they me. know. Yeah, they're very organized. So yeah, I have a lot of things that I know won't come out till winter or spring. So, you know, and it's it's one of it's definitely one of those things you have to have patience. Cause even for me, I feel like I had already an amazing entryway again with, you know, mafia and previous cuts. Like it really wasn't difficult for me to get back into it because I had success in it already. But even with that, you know, the 2021, I didn't get any cuts in 2021 other than mafia, which was confirmed in 2020. So, and everything started rolling in, in 2022 from, you know, the 60, 70, 80 songs that I wrote in 2021. Right. So, and it's that process again now. And actually it's funny Today, I saw my very first, um, like, statement from one of my partners. So, you know, I signed a deal with them over a year ago. Right. So that's these are the timelines we're working with. It's very, like, give yourself five years to, like, be fully earning money from this gotcha. if you're really, really doing that's this. That's what I was going to ask. Is it hard for you to, like, know your finances and, like, predict for stuff and, like, have a savings and, like... Because if you're getting paid at all these random times, I imagine that makes your life pretty difficult financially. Like it, like it's, it's stressful. It, yeah, I guess. it can. It can be a little stressful. Again, it's, this is very like an exercise in trust. Like, don't do this if you have a nervous system that can't help. Yeah, right. I could not do it because <laughs> it's no, it's it's a little bit scary. Yeah, and you know the checks can look very very different. You know, depending on. Not just how the song did, but like what syncs it got, for example, mm. you know, that can make a difference of like $50,000. Right. So, yeah, it's one of those things. I still do a lot of gigs. Like I still get hired by oh, okay. independent artists to produce their records, which is a little more secure. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you get a fee. And even with K-pop, you also get a fee up front as a producer. Oh, that's good. And sometimes as a top liner too, any top liners out there, um, especially if you have cuts already, make sure you ask for a fee for top lining, especially if you're recording yourself. If you're recording yourself, you're adding to the production. Like you absolutely right. have Right, like to at that point, it. you're an engineer too. You're an engineer too. And a lot of um, producers, they won't, you know, offer that to you. You have to ask. And sometimes they say no, depending on everybody's like clout. <laughs> right. <laughs> Big old quotes. But it's definitely something if you're doing the kind of vocal production I do, which is like layers and layers and layers and tuning and um, verb and all of these different effects. Like, yeah, you should be getting a piece of the track fee. So, you know, and this is also another reason why I 
you know, do a lot of other things like content creation and teaching and mm -hmm. releasing music as an artist because altogether it adds up to a lot of different income streams. You know, and I find that it's like one of those things a lot of just people in general, not just musicians, don't like to talk about money and yes. income. And I, I just think it's silly because we all need to like live and pay for our studio, which is, has very expensive gear yeah. <laughs> usually. So, you know, you need to kind of know what you're getting into you know, and you need to know the challenges. And I would say anything songwriting, not just K-pop, when you, from the time you start out, even if you already kind of like know what you're doing, five years before you can be like set. Yeah. Five years for sure. No, not, not shorter. <laughs> Especially if you're relying on back end from cuts, right? It's a little different if you're producing work for hire. And like, I know if I mm -hmm. sign a $2,000 production contract when that's done, I get two grand no matter what. But when you get a song placed, exactly. it could be a couple hundred bucks, a couple thousand bucks, a couple hundred thousand bucks. And you're not going to know for yep. at least a year before you get your first statement from the time it comes out. And like you said, it might not even come out mm -hmm. for a year. So you could have an yeah. absolute banger yeah. that makes you nothing. Maybe your production fear, your advance for a couple of years and that's it. And so that's and, crazy. No, that's, and that's real. That's real. That's real. And that's one of those things. It's so funny. You said you can have an absolute banger and you just don't know, you know, you can have a really great song and that song never gets cut. That's the reality of it. And it sucks. It really does suck. Like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's awesome. You know, you just don't really have control, which is honestly why I eventually want to have my own label and have the art, my own artist that I develop right. because that's when you have control, you know, and there's many, many challenges that come with that. A lot of them have to do with marketing and finance. But um, as a writer, you have to get comfy with the fact that you have really no control over what happens with the music you make. Yeah. Well, you know what else I was going to ask you? Kind of random, maybe a silly question, not sure. Do you normally no. write lyrics for like K-pop songs? And if so, do you write them? No, that's not a, not a silly question <laughs> at all. It's a, it's a very like a lot of people get are very confused about well, yeah, this. Because it's a so, Korean a yeah. lot of the time. So I was like, it's in do Korean. you know Korean or? Or Japanese or, or Japanese, Chinese or yeah, whatever, or whatever it's language in. it's in. <laughs> I know how to say hello. Nice to meet you. <laughs> there you go. No, I love it. Where's the bathroom? <laughs> oh, there, that's an important one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I don't speak Korean. So, and this is not a requirement for any, writing any Asian, Asian pop because I've, I've worked in J-pop and also um, Chinese pop mm -hmm. as well. You don't have to speak those languages because um, a lot of their their lyricists, that's all they do is they specialize in translation oh, okay. from English to that language. So a lot of Western writers will write in English, you know, funny enough, not a lot of Americans write K-pop. There's been a little more getting into it recently, but traditionally the Westerners that have participated in K-pop for two decades are Swedish people, yeah. um, just Scandinavians in general, a lot of Brits, just Europeans. Um, so... Yeah, we write in English and there there's some specificities to to it for sure because um a lot of the time some of our lyrics are kept because you know a lot of songs it's not pure Korean it's right. like this mixture of Korean sure. and English. So you sort of write guessing which things they're going to keep and sometimes you guess right sometimes you guess wrong. Yeah. Right. Um I'm pretty good at guessing a lot of the hooks they'll keep in English, you know yeah, 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 baby, 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 like I'm just making stuff up. But yeah. anything like really simple, any kind of lyric that internationally would be known in English, mm -hmm. you know, a person in Venezuela, a person in Germany are going to know those words. Uh, they're going to keep that. And because right. Shouts, has, chants, one-liners. 
Right, right. K-pop has a global audience, so they will keep that. A lot of the times, also, the phonetics are really important as well. So I always give this example. Um, the song we had with Red Velvet a little while back, there is a line in the pre-chorus. I don't remember what this means, but the Korean word is it's repeated three times. But the original lyric was keep it real. I was like, keep it real, keep it real. It kind of sounds like mm. a little bit similar. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times they just take the phonetics and try to find the words that sound like what the demo did. Okay. I always wonder that because sometimes so, yeah. if you see the translation of the lyrics, you're like, that kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't make sense. So I always wonder like how that works. Yeah. It sounds a lot so that like makes a lot yeah. of sense. It sounds a lot like the writing process of like reverse engineering when you're coming up with a melody and you're just kind of mumbling gibberish and like you'll start to find mm -hmm. words or tones or one liners or themes that kind of just naturally come out of like mumbling. It's true. And so is that kind of what it's like they're just kind of taking the English would be a the mumbling and then it, they just take the the hits mm -hmm. and then fill it out. Whatever sounds good. Right. Yeah, it's there's a writer that I work with that literally does that what you just said Austin like the mumbling. Yeah. He's got a really good voice so he'll just sing like mumbly stuff mm -hmm. and just be like, "Oh, just let's add some words that sound like, you know, if he's singing an A sound, we'll do day. Yeah. If he's yep. singing an I, we'll do night. You know what I mean? So I also, again, <laughs> it's always funny talking about methodology because I never have one. I always have like, well, I do it like this, but also I do it the exact opposite yeah. way. So creativity, um, this is one way. <laughs> creativity is funny that way. I do it this way a lot, but there's recently also, because I said, uh, like I said, I noticed a trend for very westernized K-pop. Sure. So when I'm writing a song and I'm noticing like this could be for Dua Lipa, I will try to write a, like a real Western lyric where I'm not as focused on the sound of the words. Obviously, they still have to sound mm -hmm. good, but I'm really trying to like write a good lyric because there is a chance this could get cut in the, in the West. And especially depending on who's on the song, if I have a writer with me who's written for Katy Perry, I'm like, okay, yeah, this potentially could go to Selena Gomez or Ava Max or whoever. Right. So in that case is when I'm going to, you know, really spend a little bit more time on it. Um, but if it sounds very K-pop and it's like kind of chaotic and the melodies are, you know, now it's here, now it's chromatic, now it's up and up, uh, now it's down and it's just very like this is K-pop, that's when I'll go with more of like the phonetic type of thing. Right. That's great though. Yeah, I, I always wonder. Do that. you find that they typically will like keep the theme of any lyrics that you do have just because they match tone or do you find that sometimes the entire like theme and meaning of the song has completely changed from from your kind of demo structure? <laughs> it's both. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's both. I've had ones that are like, this is exactly the same. And then I've had ones where they change the title. Right. They, they just mm -hmm. completely scratch our lyrics, scrap it and create their own thing. Totally different theme, everything different. So that that's the tough thing. You just never really know. So that's why I always say just, just do what you want. Yeah. Do what feels right in the moment. Because it, this is really hard to predict. Yeah. Well, and like, that's what I try to tell people as well as, you know, like you said earlier in this episode, people really want the kind of like one-stop shop formula for making a song. And it's like, if you've got one way that you make a song, you're going to run out of ideas in like a couple weeks, mm -hmm. you know, like Bored. creativity has to be fluid. And especially if you're collaborating with people, that has to be even more fluid. So it sounds to me like- Oh, you're so right. The way that you've been able to, you know, stay consistent and get your cuts and- you know, release stuff with yourself or your own group as an artist is like not 
not getting too ritualistic about the workflow. It's like, it's good to have mm-hmm. your preferences of, of how you work, but at the same time, like sometimes that just doesn't happen, you know? Sometimes it doesn't happen and that's okay. And I think, yeah, every, I agree with literally everything you said. And it's always funny to me um, teaching because I do try to give some structure, but I feel like every six months I do something totally different. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's different per collaborator as well. Some collaborators I work really well in the room with. Other collabor- collaborators, I have one um, guy I collab with a lot. He and I in the room, it's just, it's really like tough to get it going unless I just focus on the track and he just focuses on the top line. Sure. Just because he's very like, he's really quiet. He kind of sits there, mumbles to himself. He's really like needs needs that space to be in his own head. And I don't want to get in his way. Mm-hmm. So then I'm just kind of pulling back, right. you know, and it's just like awkward thing. But I find that if I just write some top line ideas on my own and just email them to him, like, hey, like, this is what I'm thinking. This is for this artist. He will just go ahead and do his thing and it will be perfect. Yeah. So it it just really, really depends on, on the situation. You got to be really flexible. You do. I mean, I think that's the only way to make it in the music industry is like you're going to be in the room with different personality types and some artists are like very particular in how they work and others are going to be very particular, but in the complete opposite direction. So especially as a writer and a producer, it's kind of your job to figure out how to take the outliers that might have their preferences and figure out how to make that work. Yeah, it's it's honestly like probably one of the toughest things, yeah. honestly, about being a writer and producer is just balancing how to do things with different people exactly (laughs) you know and some it's it's interesting you have to really know yourself and what works for you and what doesn't work for you and sort of your own triggers it starts really kind of that creativity starts merging with psychology for (laughs) sure because yeah i know at this point like certain types of collabs that just will not work with me and will bring out the absolute worst in me (laughs) and i really will try to avoid those situations and focus on those that i know will be nurturing 100 percent. let's see what else do we have we have a bunch of stuff on this list that i would love to chat about we talked a lot about you as a producer and as a writer, especially in uh, kind of the K-pop, J-pop market. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your kind of journey as a musical artist. So with your duo Liar, and then now that you're releasing solo music, like I'd love to kind of hear what those projects are like. How do you decide something is for you versus something that you're going to pitch? Of course, of course. Thank you for asking. Um, So my journey as an artist, I feel like has been really weird at this point, I'm cool with it. Definitely when I was younger, I was like, why? Yeah. Right. <laughs> why? What's wrong with me now? I'm just like, it is what it is. Um, I originally, when I got into music, I only wanted to be an artist. I didn't want to be a producer writer at all. Like, even though I wrote, you know, naturally well, I think I had the raw talent for it. I just didn't, it didn't interest me to write for others. Right. Um, and it, I didn't really get into it like, up until over 10 years into my career. So I really tried to make the artist thing work. um, And I definitely had a lot of challenges on the way. Uh, Some of them are the ones everybody faces. I feel like, you know, it's really, it can be really challenging to find an audience. Uh, It can be really challenging to even find yourself as an artist, like what you do as an artist. Some people naturally gravitate towards one thing. I I know a lot of artists that it took them, you know, 
many years to kind of lock in on something, you know, because that kind of growth just takes time. For sure. <laughs> so it was very much like that for me. And I kind of understand why now, because I really am more versatile and that really serves as a writer producer because you know one day i'm writing like a really cute like girly song for 14 year olds another day it's more like this is for a woman or this is for an older guy so you get to use all these different perspectives and it's fun because i feel like all of us are so multifaceted and you know and this is more overall cultural comment but our culture loves to put people in a box yes. you're this and you're that and this is so not natural to human beings right. <laughs> we're ever evolving and we're all multifaceted so it's fun to kind of dip into my masculinity or you know my inner young little girl or my inner older woman so it's really fun to do this as a as a writer but as an artist i definitely had you know these really wide genre swings that i did right. <laughs> when i was younger because i just didn't know how to lock onto something so and I think it was being in Nashville that really illuminated one of my issues for me, which was that I really didn't know how to be authentic as an artist. You know, I just knew how to put things together and, oh, I love banjos. So I'm going to do this banjo solo in this country song. This is fun. And then I'm going to sing it. Why not? You know, and I think basically the only advice I have for artists is, marrying your dominant qualities as a person with your music obviously your your many things but anything that is really dominant in you and really present is what your artistry should be built around for sure so for me you know i ended up taking a break from my art honestly i thought it was the end i was like i'm done i'm never gonna be an artist again and it was really sad to be honest like i'm kind of making light of it but it was like extraordinarily traumatic <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because it's all I, mean, I ever like get want. rid of a dream. No, it's all I ever wanted. And I worked for a decade towards yeah, right. it and basically didn't achieve it at the time. So I, you know, it was definitely that moment where like, okay, I'm just, I'm just producing for others. I'm writing for others. Like I'm never doing this again. No, no, I got burnt here. I don't want to touch this hot thing. Yeah. Again. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and it took, again, it took being in the pandemic and kind of having nothing to do and um, being like, Oh, I'll make some songs, you know, because before I didn't have time to just, kind of play around I could you know had projects and deadlines and all these sorts right. of things so I really didn't have the opportunity to be like let me just sit here and play guitar and see what comes up so and I did that in 2020 and I realized my artistry kind of was in the background of my mind and just sitting there waiting to be tapped into and it has matured as I matured as a producer and a writer it was a really interesting moment where I just sat down and started playing and I was like oh I know exactly what I am now. Right. <laughs> you know, I know the things that are very dominant things I think about as a human being. And I know how I sing now because I've sung background vocals on so, so, so many records at this point. So it was, it was a very interesting moment where I just sort of sat down. And after that five year long break, and I just knew what it was at that point. So, you know, and for me, I think it was very much a lot of things that have to do with empowerment. And it's really funny because a lot of briefs I get are like empowering female, which I find that that's really hard to artificially create. Yeah. Like you have to just feel that sense of empowerment. Right. It has to come to you how you want to express that. And a lot of the things I released, they just naturally came. It's things I wrote in my journal, it's things I thought of just as a person. So, it, you know, a lot of that type of thing just kind of congealed into songs very naturally right. for me. So, 
you know, and with liar, um, it's very interesting. So a lot of people at this point are very confused about what we are, and that's okay because we're definitely in a transitional space. Uh, liar originally was me and Ellie, and we basically like put ourselves together into this team um, to you know be able to go to sessions as writers and producers and go be able to go in together. So that's what it was for a while. The two of us were liar and. Then in 20, was it 2020? 2021, I want to say. About a year ago, Ellie signed an indie record deal. And, you know, she was like, hey, I really want to pursue my artistry. And this is one of those things that I was happy about, even though I knew she was going to be not leaving Liar, but taking a step back from it. Sure. I was really, really overjoyed because she is somebody who's a fantastic artist and performer as well. So, you know, watching her sit in studios and make other people's dreams come come true and not pursuing her own was honestly painful yeah. to me. Right. I wanted her to have that opportunity. So when that happened, I just was like, yay, amazing. We will make it work. So, and that is uh, kind of like where things are at right now. You know, Liars at this point is basically just a, a company, production company, um, where I've actually signed a writer that I'm managing now. So now we're a management company too. So eventually my dream is to take Liar to be a label and a publishing company. Um, so at this moment, it's in transition to that, you know, and I'm imagining Ellie's always going to be a partner, but it's not always going to be the two of us writing everything yeah. and producing everything together. Right. You know, because what I want to see for her is her on tour and her her doing her artist. Right. So it's transitioned out of being like a production writing releasing duo into kind of a, a home base for you to work out of as like a producer and a content creator. And if she wants to do anything outside mm -hmm. of being a solo artist, she can kind of come in through that outlet as well. She's always welcome. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. She's always welcome. Cool. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at at the moment with all of those things you know and there's cool movement going on for her which i can't talk about ndas right <laughs> um but you know hopefully things will start coming out to the surface being released and hopefully it will do well that's amazing it's crazy how you've been able to just balance so many different kind of like facets of the music industry especially you know now that you're kind of independent not having that structure that like a publisher gives you where they just tell you exactly what they need you know, you kind of have to navigate all that yourself, especially balancing releasing stuff with yourself and pitching stuff and doing the YouTube videos. And it's just a lot. So, I mean, yeah, good for you. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot, man. But it's also, it really is cohesive with my personality. Right. And I always say, like, you need to know yourself. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm always dipping into psychology because it's something that just interests me a lot. You know, not a psychologist, don't have a degree, but I read a lot about it. It's, it's fun for me. So, and I find that, you know, the more you know yourself and what works for you, the easier it is to navigate, like, any pursuit, sure. creative business. I know that the traditional route of being signed to a publisher, being signed to a manager can feel very constraining to me because I have all of these different ideas and a lot of the times right. you know, flip my hair. Like <laughs> I know how to accomplish those things yeah. and I have like a clear vision. So, and a lot of the times traditional music industry, not always, but can be very narrow minded. Yeah. You know, even sessioning in LA, you know, can feel like, oh, well, you know, your manager or your publisher sends you to all of these sessions as a top liner, sometimes two a day and just show up to a studio, you write a song and then you leave and you hope something happens. And to me, that's, I, oh, I never want to do that. Yeah. Right. I never want to do that because 
I want to know, you know, what I'm writing, who I'm writing it with. I want to look at the people and approve my sessions. A lot of writers just show up hoping that they will get along with that person. And, you know, this is not to knock myself, but I don't get along with everybody. Right. And I'm very opinionated. <laughs> you can probably tell. <laughs> very strong-willed. So it takes particular people to get along with me and for me to, like, creatively connect to them. Right. So that's why, you know, I'm very strategic about the chances I take. Mm -hmm. And I know that... If something doesn't work out, I go, hey, like, I checked this out. I did everything I could, and sometimes it just doesn't work. That's fine. But I found a lot when I was, you know, how to manage or how to publish her, and people were just setting up random things. Like, 80% of them wouldn't work. Yeah. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This is bad for my mental yeah. health because <laughs> I end up returning from these things feeling terrible about my life and myself. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's. I feel like it's so hard, too, for, like, Especially when you're just being sent almost like on these like errands as a checklist from your manager or publisher. Like it's hard to be taken seriously when you're just, you have like no stake in that actual writing session. You're just like, oh, I'm going to come in, do my part and then leave. You know, like there's no collaborative yeah. vibe. There's no people to people interaction. Like you don't even really get to meet the artist that you're trying to write for. And so it's one of those things of like yeah. having that human interaction yeah, and having that time to like hang out. I feel like m makes everybody in the room operate a little bit better and take each other just a little bit more seriously. It's true, especially when it's that pace of like, hey, this is my second session of the day. It just feels very mechanical, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and even if the artist is there, I, I like what you said about the stake, right? They meet you one time and you're one of their 20 sessions on their trip to L.A. from wherever they live. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they're not even going to remember you. So you just better hope that you write something great, which... You know, even if you're somebody with a really high batting average, not not everything you're going to write is going to be a hit. That's just point sure. blank right. facts. <laughs> so you just end up taking all of these chances, like kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, right. hoping mm -hmm. that it sticks. And I personally really don't like that. And even like going back to the kind of thought of the stake, right? Sometimes I'll get hit up like, hey, will you work with this young writer? You know, they're hot. They're 16 and they got signed to this sexy manager and you know the sexy publishing deal and like everybody's writing with them and i'm like yeah but i don't have a stake in them i don't care how talented they are they're 16 right. yeah. need development and if i just do one session with them i have no stake and i'm just contributing my resources that i've spent 20 years developing right. to this person without having anything to gain from it so and i i find that a lot of writers don't think that way and that's okay if you don't think that way if you're more like hey i don't want to think about the business i just want to show up write a song then the kind of traditional way is perfect for you. It's great. Right. But if you're more like me where you really are like more business-like and Virgo vibes, <laughs> <laughs> you need to have your stuff organized, you probably will really like buckle against that. Yeah. I'm kind of the same as you with like, if I'm going to spend a good idea on somebody, I want it to be taken seriously. Like I want it to actually have a chance of becoming something. You know, I don't want to bounce around and write nine songs in a week that nothing happens and especially in sessions like that where, like, yeah. I don't even know if they're going to use that. So it's like I, I'm, like, flying through all of my creativity and none of it's being taken very seriously. You're, like, burning your creative fuse and for what? Yeah. Yeah. Because you only have so much of yeah, it. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, creativity isn't unlimited. Right. I mean, it, it is in a way, but also we're humans. We need breaks. Mm -hmm. For sure. We need time to recharge, even, like, creatively recharge. Mm -hmm not work and think about, you know, other things that we like, do our hobbies. So, you know, you really have to, I mean, in my opinion, you have to be strategic about how you spent that juice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You have. Exactly. Yeah. Your brain's like a battery. It's going to, 
eventually run out and then you're going to have to recharge it. But while you're recharging it, it's not much that's in it to you. So it's like you got to use it sparingly. I think that's smart. Yeah. I think we do have a lightning round that we're going to ask. Before we do that, there's just one last thing I'd love to to kind of like wrap up with. And that is with you being Mm -hmm. so multifaceted, what is your ultimate goal? I know we've actually dived into the idea of you starting a label and a publisher and kind of being like a home base for other artists and producers to get their jump off. But as far as you, do you see yourself more as like running that as a business head? Do you see yourself sticking in the creative side for the long haul? What is kind of like your, you know, vision board kind of end all be all like your penultimate success? I I love this question and I do have an answer. My ultimate goal is to create an extremely successful artist. I want to create an artist that is, I mean, literally like level of Blackpink, like billions of strokes okay. type of artist. Um, and I think the way this is going to work for me, and obviously like, let's check in in five, 10 years, like, let's see how it's going. Um, I think the way it's going to work for me is for me to be in a leadership role on the business side and the creative side, but not try to do everything myself for this artist. Um, This is something I learned about myself. Again, (laughs) know thyself goes back to that sentiment is I, I am a good leader and I'm good at sort of seeing the big picture vision. And I know I'm good at producing and writing, you know, it's been proven (laughs) with some of my successes, but there are also other people that are really good at writing and producing. There's also other people that are really good at business. There's other people that are good at art direction. So, and what I'd love to be is somebody that oversees this project from all the ends, but I have incredible people working on all the different aspects. So what I'm doing now is just trying to learn about as many things as I can and be as broad as I can you know, possibly can, uh, which includes obviously the creative side, but also finance, <laughs> also relationships. And hopefully I can become somebody that can oversee this project from this kind of broad perspective and bring on really amazing, really genius professionals to help all the particulars happen. 100%. So like executive producing, like you you want to get creative when need yeah. to be, but you really want to make sure that a project really comes together. Budgets are handled, producers are hired, songs are coming together exactly gotcha exactly you know and i'll probably write and produce on most of it you know Mm -hmm. what i mean but i also see this a lot where people get very like egotistically caught up in their creativity like oh i'm the best i have to be the one right and i've been there like (laughs) i was younger you know it comes from insecurity really like you're like oh like if i'm not everything i'm nothing so and i just don't think that way anymore um, you know, if I write something that I think is fantastic, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to use that. But one thing I learned from watching these labels in Korea is they're very businesslike because they're going to spend an insane budget on the single. So right. they're very mm. careful about what they choose as a single. And it has to not, not only be a great song, but also write for the brand. So I find that to be really smart, obviously really successful watching what they do with their artists. I mean, you compare some of these um, Asian projects to Western projects. I mean, it's not on the same plane. It's not the same quality of video. It's not the same quality of tour production. It's just, it's it's way and above and beyond. Oh yeah, next level. So I'm very, I'm very inspired by that, you know, and hopefully I can grow to the point where I can be in that leadership role and really doing a fantastic job at overseeing something like that so would you want to do like a specific like k-pop group or something like that or in the asian market or in the western market as in like for the artists that you'd want to develop or do you not really have a preference 
I would I would probably go for a global artist. Yeah, yeah. somebody that's probably is launched out of Asia, mm-hmm. but could become global and, you know, have success out here as well. We're seeing a lot of that happening oh, now yeah. with BTS and Blackpink. They were the first ones. I think there's going to be more and more and more. Um, I'm really excited to kind of be on the ground floor. That's how I think about, you know, this era of K-pop and it merging with Western music. Yeah. So that's probably what's going to happen. Obviously, like <laughs> having lived and having seen things that happened in my career, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, you you know? can't predict like, anything. anything can happen. Yeah. So it's it's almost like funny to plan five to 10 years in advance. But when I do think about this, I get very excited. Right. I kind of feel this like fire in my gut and I you know, just want to smile and talk about it. So anytime you get a feeling like that about anything sure. is when I'm like, mm, pay attention yeah, to that. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. <laughs> pay attention to that because that is really like there's something there. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but that's the current <laughs> goal. That's really exciting though. I can't wait to, to watch it from the sidelines. Like, oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll be checking in Aww, in a couple of years. And, and hopefully participate yeah. as well. <laughs> like uh, I said, anytime I bring you need anything, in. <laughs> literally just hit me up. I'm, I'm literally always game. <laughs> All right, well, we're not going to take up too, too much of your time. We do have a little lightning round. These can be as simple as you want them to be. They're just like little questions that we're not going to get into into Yay. anything too deep. No soul searching on these. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want to. <laughs> if there's something that inspires you, feel free to go on a tangent. But I'm going to let Miranda take this segment so oh. she can uh, she can start asking you these uh, rapid fire questions. Okay, let's see. First one is your favorite plugin. Austin wrote of all time, but I would say you could say of all time or if you that's too much pressure, like right now, maybe. Uh, Valhalla Vintage Verb. <laughs> People Quick. on my streams literally call me Valhalla Back Girl because <laughs> I'm just like, this is the best reverb. And it's I feel like everybody feels that way about it's it. So but good. hey, I can be basic. That's it's a fine. really good nickname. That's like really creative that they came up with. It that. sounds like a gamer tag, like, Valhalla Back Girl. It's like Holla Back Girl. I know, I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this should be my Twitch username. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's honestly, it's the perfect reverb. Like, it sounds good short, it, really it sounds is. good long. It's so it's good. Got the, I love the 70s mode because it's like a little darker. All right. That's mm-hmm. top tier. All right. Uh, second question. Um, your favorite piece of studio decor. So like not gear. Your favorite vibe in the mm. studio. I wish I could. Tr- I actually can turn this camera just for oh, you guys. Yay. So it's this right here. It's this uh, amethyst. Oh, yeah. It's dark. I think you can see a little bit of it. It's just like a giant cluster of amethyst that I have on my desk. I don't know. Crystals are good vibes. And my husband gave me oh. this and he put these little two hearts and oh. I don't know. It just makes me That's, happy. Austin has a ton so, of crystals. I have a ton of crystals on my stuff. Have you ever seen any pictures? I just have like my whole, like. I we've t- I haven't seen pictures. We've talked about it. I remember this was one of our first messages that we exchanged on Instagram. Austin was like, oh, I like your crystals. So crystals. All right. Uh, let's go to the third question. Oh, your dream gear item. I think you just bought it, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I just yeah. bought it. There you go. <laughs> it's the, I just bought it. It's the LM251 microphone. Yeah, that's amazing. I, um, honestly, I'm so happy. It sounds so good. I saw it. I was like, <laughs> damn. That's next level. I just used one on a, I was in a, a writing trip in LA and I was with uh, Jonathan Morrison and we were working with the duo Nico and we used the, um, the 251 and I swear to God, I didn't add anything except a couple sins on the vocal and it was like mix ready. It's the best. It's be- no, it's beautiful. And it's one of those things like, it's obviously really pricey, but I do so much with vocals, sure. you know, it's, it got to the point where I'm like, uh, you know, if I'm going to invest into anything, this is yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is like the ultimate vocal microphone, especially for like female pop vocals. There's just nothing like it. So 
I saw the picture when you posted it, it on it your really birthday. I was like, oh, she did it. <laughs> yeah, he told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've been singing into it. and oh, I feel congrats. like if it saves you time, too, it's like worth it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, an, it's a huge investment, but it's your job. So, I mean, what Business right off, whatever they say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. All right, next one is, what do you think is the most overused cliche in songwriting? Ooh. I can't wait to piss people off with this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good, good question, man. You know what? I It's not necessarily a cliche, but this is something that, like, kind of pisses me off. And I see like great writers do this too. And I'm just like, I don't care. I really don't like this. It's Yoda talk. It's basically reversing a sentence because it rhymes. So you make it fit. Like instead of saying, um, my heart bleeds for you, you would say, for you, my heart bleeds. Because, you know, your rhyme is Eid. It sounds like a poet, like an old school poem or something. It sounds like Yoda. Yeah, it does. Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, for you, my heart bleeds. (laughs) (laughs) It's very silly and it's nitpicky. And I recognize that it's not a big deal, but it always upsets upsets me when I hear this. We all have that that one thing in songwriting that annoys us. That's so funny. I've never heard it called Yoda. You to talk. talk before. That's hilarious. That's a really good word for it. Genius. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. Oh, we covered this already. Vocal yeah. first or production first? Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to ask. Um, it's not on the list, but I'm just going to add it. Um, your do you have what are your like favorite hobbies outside of music? Oh, I do have a lot of hobbies. So I've written two books. Oh, I wow. love uh, creative writing. Yeah, so I love to write. It's one of those things I haven't figured out how to integrate with my main thing yet because it takes so much time. Um, In 2020, yeah, I finished my book like to like as good of an extent as I could. I hired an editor and everything, but it's just such a different pursuit. And, you know, when I started pitching to agents and got into all of that world, I was like, I have no time for this. (laughs) I don't know how I can do this. So I still haven't like figured out how to incorporate that, but it's something that brings me a lot of joy. I also draw draw my iPad. Oh, that's cool. Um, which is just lots of fun. I love to use that as like, gifts for people. Yeah. I draw them or I'll draw their pets. That's so cute. <laughs> things I like that. that. You're it's very fun, creative. But yeah, it's a lot of creative things like that. And then finally, my big hobby is The Sims. Oh, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> I feel like there's like 30% of my entire brain dedicated to The Sims. I know way too much about The Sims. Honestly, good. You work so much. And I so watch much. content creators. I think you need it. I think you need that. <laughs> Lots of I'm gonna fun. go start a, a yeah. record label on The Sims. There you go. Oh my god, just singing in Simlish, you know. <laughs> she should be flip norb. <laughs> Literally. Literally. All right. Like, like uh, Katy Perry singing in Simlish. Yes, yeah, yes. And then we don't have it written, but one thing that I've I've really liked asking people when we've had for the last little lightning round thing is do you have a favorite studio snack? Ooh, that's a great question. I try to keep things healthy because as producers, we sit a lot. So usually it's like nuts or dried um, fruit, things like that. But pro tip, if you have artists over, always give them snacks. They like you more. They really do. (laughs) Yeah, if you go to any commercial studio, they're going to have some kind of like spread of chips, cookies, nuts. It's mm-hmm. like everybody's happier when they're eating something. Yeah, who isn't? Exactly. So feed your artists. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, I think that's going to do it. Honestly, thank you, Alina, so much for spending so much time with us today. It's been really amazing to hear your story. It's a super unique story. And I know you've worked in a lot of different facets that we haven't really got to dive into on this podcast before. So thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. 
Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Where can people find out more about you if they want to support you, listen to the music you're working on, watch your YouTube tutorials? Uh, do you, you know, wh- how can they find you? How can they support you? Oh, thank you so much for asking. So I'm Liar Music Group on everything, and that's L-Y-R-E, not like pants on fire, <laughs> <laughs> like the instrument. Um, I am on TikTok. I am on YouTube, Instagram, Um like, I forget. <laughs> we have so many social networks these days. I'm pretty much on all of them. So uh, Discord. So if you want to support, but you also want to perhaps meet other people in the community that are in- interested in music, specifically in K-pop, um, there's a lot of that going on in, on all of my different pages. So feel free. Love that. Thank you so much. Once again, it's been amazing chatting with you. It was such a good, good chat. I can't wait for people to hear this episode. And if you need anything in the future, if you ever want to come on and do an update, we would love to have you literally anytime. Yeah, once you got your label. Oh, I would love that. Thank you guys so much. I've really had fun with this. Thank you once again to Alina for joining us. We had such a good time talking with her and hearing her journey and her experiences and her vision for the future. I really, really enjoyed this episode. If you like this episode, please make sure you like and rate this podcast and follow it on whatever platform you listen on. Also, go show Alina some love. Go check out all of her links that we're leaving in our show notes so you can check her out on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube. You can check out her music as an artist and go listen to some of the stuff that she's worked on as a writer and a producer. Go show her some love. Tell her we sent you. But other than that, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you guys soon with much more content. Much love. Peace.